Welcome to the Faith Podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Pastor Carrick Butler II. We believe today's message will empower you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. Here's today's message. I take ears to hear. I forgive everybody of everything. I receive supernatural debt cancellation. The word of God that I'm about to receive will enable me and empower me to make Jesus famous in my everyday life. You may be seated. Open your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 8. If you have the Version Bible app, I encourage you to open up and follow along with me in my notes on the Version Bible app. Select the option that says more. You can find the notes where it says Faith Christian Center and How to Discover Your Purpose Part 2. And so what we've been doing on Wednesday nights is answering questions that we received online. And so if you haven't received your, uh, submitted a question yet or you have another question, go ahead and go to the website and submit a question and we'll answer that as well. We started answering this question last week, so this is part two of how do I discover my purpose? How do I discover my purpose? And if you're watching us online right now on Facebook Live, go ahead and share this broadcast so other people can watch with you and give us a few likes and hearts and comment people's names who need to see this message as well. So the question, as I said before, is how do I discover my purpose? So let's do some review. We said last week to discover your purpose, number one, you must believe that God created you with a purpose. Number one, you must believe that God created you with a purpose. God will communicate your purpose and the details concerning your purpose to you. Number two, you must believe that God will talk to you about your purpose and will lead you where to go. You must believe that God will talk to you about your purpose and will lead you where to go. Because if you do not believe that God will talk to you or lead you, you will miss out on the fullness of your purpose. We're the children of the light. We don't want to stumble into our purpose. We want to walk clearly into the ways God has for us. Number three, we said you should pray the Ephesians 1 prayer of yourself daily. You go to Ephesians chapter 1, you see starting with verse 14, going through verse 22, you see this anointed prayer that Paul prayed, and you should pray it over yourself daily. Number four, we said spend time praying in the Spirit concerning your purpose and your call and your future. Spend time praying in the Spirit concerning your call and your future. We know 1 Corinthians 14 tells us that he who prays in an unknown tongue speaks not unto men but unto God. But it says when he prays, he's speaking mysteries. That word mysteries means divine secrets, plans, and purposes. Divine secrets, plans, and purposes. So you can take time every day and say, Father, I'm taking time right now to pray out your purpose for my life, to pray out the future over my life. And you spend time praying in the Holy Ghost, and you take it while it's a mystery. You take it by faith while it's a mystery. So I don't understand what I pray. Faith doesn't come from understanding. Faith comes from what you believe. And so you take it while it's a mystery and said, I receive it. As it says in 1 Corinthians 12 and chapter 14, I pray that I may interpret. So when I need to know the information, what I just prayed out, Father, I pray that I receive that interpretation. So number four, spend time praying in the spirit concerning your call and your future. Now, Romans chapter 8, verse 28, it says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and to them who are called according to his purpose. So when we say called according to his purpose, last week we said that word purpose means intention or setting forth. It means intention or setting forth, to propose for consideration. That word purpose means intention, a setting forth, or to propose for consideration. This word is also translated as showbread in the Gospels and in the book of Hebrews. In other words, we can say, what has God put in front of you to do? 
when we talk about purpose in this sense, what has God put in front of you to do? What has God put in front of you to do? Whatever it is, do that. Because as you begin to be faithful in doing that, more concerning your purpose will be revealed to you. As you are faithful to do what God has put in front of you to do, more concerning your purpose will be revealed to you. Most people want everything, every step, A through Z, laid out before they take the first step. That's not how faith works. You have to be faithful in what he puts in front of you to do, and then he reveals the next step. And being faithful doesn't mean, well, I did it one day. Faithful is not, I did it one week. Well, I did it one year. No, you're faithful until he moves you to the next step. So what if I have to be faithful for 20 years, and that's how long you have to be faithful for? Number five, do what God has put in front of you to do. Number five, do what God has put in front of you to do. Obedience opens the door to greater revelation. Obedience opens the door to greater revelation, blessings, and clarity. Obedience opens the door to greater revelation, blessings, and clarity. I remember one time I sat down with Rick Renner. He said, there's somebody on the other side of your obedience. Your, you being obedient is not just a blessing for you. There's someone else who needs you to be obedient. So do what God has put in front of you to do because obedience will open the door to greater revelation, blessings, and clarity. A lot of people don't know their next step of what God has called them to do because they didn't do the last thing he told them to do. So they're waiting for God to show them. They may be praying, but God, show me what's next. Show me what's next. Well, do what he told you first. Go back to the first things he told you to do. It's just like we can't expect a kindergartner to understand calculus if they haven't understand one, two, three, four. A lot of believers want calculus, but they can't put two and two together. Get two and two together first before you want to take calculus. You have to do the first steps. So Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Let's go to Romans chapter 12, verse 1. A little bit more review and get to some more stuff tonight. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God has something for your life that is good. The word acceptable means fully pleasing, and the word perfect means complete. Just because you start out and doing good things, or even there's a period of your life where you're doing fully acceptable things, doesn't mean you'll get to complete. You don't want to just have, I've done the good. Well, I've done things that are well-pleasing. I know I hear well done. You want to do everything God has called you to do. That by the time you get to heaven, it's not I got to heaven too early and I left things undone. I've completed. Paul said, I've finished my course. Not I ran my course and I got tired, so I want to get out. No, I finished my course. Paul said his goal was to finish his course with joy. So he said, I'm not just going to get to the end, but I'm getting to the end with joy. So it's not just doing good things. It's not just doing, okay, God's pleased with it. We want to complete everything God has called us to do. The Amplified Classic Edition says it this way, do not be conformed to this world. This age, fashioned after and adapted to its external superficial customs, but be transformed, changed by the entire renewal of your mind, by its new ideals and its new attitudes, so that you may prove for yourselves what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God, 
even the thing which is good and acceptable and perfect in his sight for you. Even the thing which is good and acceptable and perfect in his sight for you. So you can't look at someone else and understand your purpose. What does God have for you? Because God has something specific for you. So this leads me to the next two points, one we mentioned last week, barely. Number six, examine and identify the gifts, talents, interests, and abilities God has placed on the inside of you. We're still talking about how to discover your purpose. Number six, examine and identify the gifts, talents, interests, and abilities God has placed on the inside of you. Because your gifting can point you towards your purpose if you look at it through God's perspective. Your gifting can point you towards your purpose if you look at it through God's perspective. But if you look at your gifting through the wrong perspective, you can still miss your purpose. You have to look at your gifting through God's perspective. Number seven, develop God's perspective for your life by renewing your mind with the word of God. Develop God's perspective for your life by renewing your mind with the word of God. Because if you get his perspective, you can look what he's put in your hand correctly. So carrying on with verse 3. For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. Now, people read through that scripture, see, God gave every person faith. That's not what it said. The beginning of verse 3 says, every man that's among you. So Paul's talking to believers. So in context, Paul is saying, God has dealt to every believer the measure of faith. Notice, the measure, not a measure. Every believer gets the same measure of faith when they're born again. When you're born again, faith comes to your heart. You have the measure of faith. Now, everyone receives the measure of faith, but not everyone develops their measure of faith. Because some people are like, oh, that's such a great champion. They have so much faith because they developed their faith. They used their faith. They got in the word and heard more, and their faith grew. Some people receive faith and do nothing with it, so they're weak in faith while others are strong in faith. Everyone receives the same measure of faith. So yes, it's great to be inspired by faith champions, but it's even better to become a faith champion yourself. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one member is one of another. So just remember, we've all received the measure of faith. We're all to have our minds renewed. We're also present our bodies as a living sacrifice unto God. And we have to remember we are members of the same body. We all have different job descriptions. Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians. You know, the eye can't be upset because it's not the ear. And the ear cannot be upset because it's not the hand. The hand cannot be upset because it's not the foot. We all have our different places in the body. Because if the foot tried to act like the eye, we'd be in trouble. If the ear tried to operate like the kidney, we'd be in trouble. Every place in your body has to operate the way it's supposed to be if you want to function the way it's supposed to function. It's the same way with the local body of believers, the church you're called to attend, as well as the global body of Christ. We all have a place that we're called to operate in. And when everyone's operating in their place, Ephesians talks about there's increase of the body in love. But we must operate in our place. Because it says in verse 6, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Now, why do the gifts and the grace differ? Because we all are different parts in the body. 
If you're a different part of the body, you don't need the same grace as another part. Every gift God gives you has a grace attached to it. Every gift God gives you has a grace attached to it. And so some people are familiar with what the verse says next. And it says, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Or ministry, let us wait on our ministering. Or he that teaches on teaching. Or he that exhorts on exhortation. He that gives, let him do it with simplicity. He that rules with diligence. He that shows mercy with cheerfulness. So when we say the word ministry here, it's not talking about ministry behind the pulpit. It's talking about serving. Think of those in the hospitality industry. Those who, when they show up in the hospitality industry, whatever type of service it is, they can make anybody feel special because of how they serve them. That's a grace and a gift. Then it says exhort, if that word means encourage. You know, there's certain people you get around and you just feel encouraged. That's a grace that's on them. That's a gift God's given them. And we get to the word ruleth. It's not just talking about people who are in charge. It's also talking about organizers. People who it doesn't matter what you throw them in, they can organize the situation. Now, you can take them to the messiest closet in the world, and they may see it and get very disturbed on the inside. But you give them a few hours or a few days, they can make that the most organized place ever. That's a gift. That's a grace. When you talk about mercy, it means those who show compassion. When you think about people showing compassion, think about nurses and caregivers. The compassion they show. The things they have to deal with day in and day out. The things they have to clean up day in and day out. And yet they still show compassion. They still show love. That's a gift and that's a grace. These aren't the only gifts and graces that God gives. God gives you gifts, graces, and talents. There are people who are graced to be mechanics. There are people who are graced to be computer engineers. There are people who are graced to be IT specialists. There are people who will be graced to be writers and painters and movie directors and more. Don't just think your talent is some natural ability that you came up with. There's a grace for it. Because if there's a grace for it, you can go beyond what your natural ability can take you to. Now, whatever grace that's on your life, it has to be backed up by faith. Whatever grace God has put in your life has to be backed up by faith. As we said last week, you must have faith in who God has called you to be. And as you develop your faith in the grace that's on your life, you'll be more effective in that area. You have to believe that you have grace for the area. Or another way to say it, you have to believe you are anointed. When I stand up here, I believe that I'm anointed. Whatever you're called to do, whatever your grace to do, you have to believe that when you step up to the plate to do it, you are anointed to do it. You say, oh, that's being cocky. No, that's being confident in who God's made you. That you can boldly say, I am anointed to do this. You could be an accountant. You are anointed to be an accountant. And so when you do stuff, you say, yeah, that's going to work because I'm anointed. You're not bragging on you. You're bragging on the person that anointed you. When you brag on your anointing, you're not bragging on yourself. You're bragging on the person who did the anointing. When you say, people say, oh, you did amazing. Oh, it's a gift. You're not bragging on yourself. You're bragging on the giver. When you talk about it as a grace on your life, you're talking about the person who gave you the grace. So you must be confident and bold with what God has put in you. When you understand what God has put in you, operate with confidence concerning it. I have this gift, walk in your gift. I'm called to do that, walk in your call. Whatever God has anointed you to do, be bold with it and step out on it and believe. Because as your faith increases in that area, that grace can do more. 
Faith and grace have to work together if you're going to fulfill your purpose. So that means your faith has to be working in that grace even when you don't feel like you are anointed or feel like you can go further. Because now my body is limited, but my grace is not. Your faith has to be that God has graced me for a purpose, and this grace is stronger than what I feel right now. You must have faith in the grace of God that God has put on your life. God will grace you to do different things. And we talked about him earlier this year in Exodus 31. There's a guy named Bezalel. And God gifted him or graced him or anointed him to be creative. God anoints people to be creative. There are people in here, you're creative doing different things. People watching online, you're creative. Don't just think, oh, it's just something I just somehow developed. I don't know how I came by it. It's a gift. It's a grace. You need to think about, well, how can I use this grace to reach other people for Jesus? Don't just think random things. No, it's a gift. One of the things my grandma would tell me when I was growing up is God never wastes anything. If you have this talent when you're little for this era, he'll bring it back up. He says, if you have a talent for drawing when you're little, God will somehow connect it to your life purpose. My other grandmother told me one time, because when I was younger, I liked acting. I liked theater. I liked movies. I liked writing. And so I was doing a lot of those things, trained in theater, trained in movies and all these different things. And so the first time I ever ministered, I was, I believe, 19 years old. And so she was there, and she watched how I ministered. She said, I saw every single acting class come out of that message. The way you delivered the message, how you delivered your lines. You just thought you just liked acting, but God was having you in those acting classes to get you ready to deliver that message. So there will be interest you have going along that's preparing you for where God's taking you to. And so you can know your child's call, what they're called to do when they get there, but it doesn't mean you tell them. They can have these interests. This is how does that connect with the call? Don't worry, support their interests as long as it's not something crazy. Support their interests because God can use that to prepare them for what they're stepping into. God never wastes anything. He is the ultimate businessman. Every interest God puts in you, every grace he's put into you, every talent, every gift is for a reason. And God will back up that reason. Go to Acts chapter 9. So Bezalel was graced to be creative and to be skillful in the creation of things for the tabernacle. Acts chapter 9. You should look to how can you use your graces, your giftings, and your talents to be a blessing to others. How can you use your giftings, your graces, and your talents to be a blessing to others? Because if you increase your faith in the grace, the grace can grow. But if you use the grace, the grace can grow. Because what are you doing? You're sowing. I was telling someone on Sunday, the more you use it, the more it'll grow. Whatever God's called you to do, the more you use it, the more it will grow. So whatever the grace is, start using it, and you'll get better at it. You'll receive more grace for it. Acts chapter 9, verse 36. Now, there was at Joppa a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is by interpretation called Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and almsies, which she did. So it's not like she did a good work every once in a while, did a good work during the holidays because she felt like it, gave alms every once in a while. For the Bible to say she was full of it, she's faithful in doing that. This is who she is. This is her identity. 
And it came to pass in those days she was sick and died, whom when they had washed, they laid her in an upper chamber. For as much as little was nigh unto Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent unto him two men, desiring him that he would not delay to come to them. Then Peter arose and went with them, and when he had was come, they brought him into the upper chamber, and all the widows stood by him weeping and showing the coats and garments which Dorcas made while she was with them. So notice, she was full of good works, full of almsgiving. Well, how was she described as being full? She was making coats for all the widows, every single one. So she's a seamstress. She's creative. You're thinking, well, how can what I make be creative? She found out how to find people in need and make each and every one of them coats. That's how she's using her grace and her gifting. So much is what she's known for. But Peter, Peter kicked him out the house, just like Jesus did, and kneeled down and prayed. And turning him to the body, says, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, presented her life, and it was known throughout all Joppa, and many believed on the Lord. Now, what opened the door for Dorcas to receive this miracle? Her grace. Because they wouldn't have said, hey, Dorcas died. She never did anything. Well, we're just going to bury her. They sent two men because they knew Peter was there. Anointed man of God was there. Hey, this woman was so integral to this community of believers. Every single widow has a coat for every season because she's gave. She is a big giver. She does this, that, and the other. Her operating in her grace opened the door for her miracle. There may be miracles in front of you that you need. If you operate in your grace, you open the door for it to come your way. That if you never walk into your grace, you don't set yourself up to receive a miracle. Because while you're trying to do whatever you want to do over here and you ignore your grace, your miracle's over there while you're trying to do what you want to do. You have to walk in your grace. It's like Paul says, your gift will make room for you. Your grace will open up a door for you. Let's skip down to Romans 10. Romans 12, verse 10. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love and honor preferring one another, not slothful in business, but fervent or hot in spirit, serving the Lord. When we say being hot in spirit, fervent in spirit, that means boiling over. It means to be passionate. So number eight, identify your passion. Number eight, identify your passion. What are you passionate about? What are you passionate about? What makes you tick? Also, you can ask yourself, what makes you angry? What, when you see this in the news or you see it on social media, is really, really, I mean, really annoys you? Ask yourself, why does it annoy you? Dive down deep. You know, one of the things, a conversation with brothers, my whole family, we are teachers. Whether we are called to the PIFO officer teacher, or we've taught in schools and education. A lot of us, we teach. That's what we do. We cannot help but teach. That's just who we are. And so ignorance annoys us. Not just people who don't know. I'm talking about people who love their ignorance and spread their ignorance. And so social media, you see that a lot. And so there it comes. I'll see some. I'll scroll down. I don't reply to everything I see because I'm like, that meme is just so stupid. You know what, I have a great, and see, you know, at one time in school, I don't know, it was middle school, high school, I was on the debate team, and I loved it. And she's had to deliver me from the love of debating people. And 
So I see this, I'm like, the teacher in me wants a response because I know that's one of the things that makes me tick. Instructing people in the truth so they can grow in knowledge. Is that line upon line, precept upon precept, teaching upon teaching so people can grow. You have to analyze what annoys you, what makes you mad, and why. Some people have such a compassionate heart that, you know, we all have compassionate heart when certain things happen, but it bothers people deeper on some reason. Find your purpose. Look at your passion. What makes you tick? If money wasn't an issue, what would you do with your life? Not talking about, oh, if money was an issue, okay, I wouldn't go around the world. I'm not talking about what you do to enjoy. What would you do to make a difference? Think about that. Get out of your mindset, well, I have to go to school. I have to make money. I have to make a living. I have to do all this. I do this. I do this. No. If none of that was an issue, what would you do to help people? What would you do to be a blessing? That's answering what's on the inside of you. What are you passionate about? What makes you tick? What enrages you and why? There are some people, you know, no one likes someone not having enough. Everybody wants people to have enough and to be clothed, but there's some people, it bothers them even deeper when they see someone who doesn't have enough. Purpose. Identify your passion. What are you passionate about? What makes you tick? Look for those things. That means you have to spend enough time with yourself to understand why do you operate the way you operate. Not because of how you're raised. Not because of things you've seen but because of things God has put on the inside of you. And there's some things God puts on the inside of you that you won't even show up to later. You don't even know where it came from, and all of a sudden it's rising up. It's grace he's put on the inside of you for such a time as this. Number nine, what is your primary way of showing love or compassion towards others? What is your primary way of showing love or compassion towards others? When you see someone in trouble, someone hurting, and you want to show them the love of God, what's the first thing you think of? Some people say, you know what, I'm going to go pay for that for them. Some say, oh, I'm going to go cook for them. Some say, oh, I'm going to go spend time with them. What is the primary way you show love? What is one of the primary ways you want people to feel the love of God? That's speaking to who God's made you to be. When you start answering these questions, you understand who you are a little bit more and graces that are in you. And when you begin to operate in those graces, more concern your purpose will be revealed to you. But a lot of things we ignore because, oh, that's not that important. That's just something I like to do. You know, realize God put it in you for who you're called to be. It takes certain temperaments for different callings. And you wonder, well, why do I have this type of temperament? Maybe it's something you're called to do. Now, sometimes we allow life to alter that temperament and Jesus got to alter it back to where it's supposed to be. Where there are things that are in you for a reason. There's certain reasons why you think about certain things certain ways. God has gifted you and graced you. Analyze what God has put on the inside of you. Identify your passion. Identify the way that you want to show love the most to people. That's part of who he's called you to be. Because what happens is you take your passion and the way you want to show love and you compare it to the word of God. And if it doesn't contradict the word of God or the leading of the spirit, that means God put it on the inside of you. Identify those things. Because as you begin to identify and walk that way, you will discover more of who you are called to be. 
And as you know these things, you can act on these things. And so one of the things that as a teacher, one of the biblical offices I stand in, I'm called to teach. And so when I approach different things, it's from the mindset of a teacher. And so one of the reasons why we're answering questions like this on Wednesday nights is God's anointed me to teach. And now I can answer questions like this so people can grow. It comes from that mindset. You begin to, when you understand where God has anointed you to do, where God has anointed you to be, you can look from the right perspective. Instead of trying to copy other people, you understand, well, this is who God has called me to be. I have this eyesight, so this is how I'm going to dress it. Doesn't mean you're the only one who's going to dress it. You're looking at one side of the mountain. God will call someone else to look at the other side, and the other side, and the other side. You do your part, and let God do his part. Remember, we're all different members of the body. We're all here for a reason. But if we all do our part, then the kingdom of God advances. The kingdom of God grows. So understand these things. Understand that there are phases to your calling. Understand these three things. There are phases to your calling. Number one, there are phases to your calling. There are phases to your purpose. Remember, we don't want just what's good and what's acceptable. When it's all said and done, we want to be complete. So in order to be complete, you have to understand there are phases to your calling. Where you start may not be where you end up. As you move through phases, you do not leave the grace and the anointing you operated in in the previous phase. Just because God will move you to a new phase doesn't mean you lose the anointing that you had in the phase before. The next phase brings greater grace that builds on the grace you and the anointing you already have. You don't trade it in. The new phase brings a greater grace that builds on the already received grace. We see these examples of following the notes. You'll see a number of scriptures I have listed below about Paul. And we'll look at his life when he was born again. He was born again. And it, God told him what he was called to do. God told him that he was a chosen vessel unto him to bear his name before the Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. He told him that part of his ministry to the children of Israel and ministering things that he has seen and what God will tell him and appear to him and teach him, that he's going to send them to the Gentiles and that they're gonna, he's going to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith as in Jesus. So he told him that at the beginning. So what does Paul start doing immediately? He starts preaching. Starts preaching. Is he that effective? Not really. Keeps preaching. And so they want to kill him multiple times, and he escapes. And he goes to Tarsus. Some years pass in this story when you read Acts chapter 9 and Acts chapter 10. And then Barnabas goes and gets him and brings him to Antioch. And it says when they came to Antioch, they both taught there. So we can say we see Paul operating in the office of a teacher. Why? This is the beginning. He's teaching. He's growing up this baby church. When you get to Acts 13, you see he's called a prophet and a teacher. You see Barnabas and Saul and a number of others that prophets and teachers having a meeting in Antioch. And as they're meeting together, the Holy Ghost says. So either through the word, the word of wisdom or through prophecy or tongues, interpretation of tongues, the Holy Ghost says, separate unto me Paul and Barnabas for the work whereunto I have called them. Past tense. So we said, well, I thought they were already doing things for God. They were. But it's now it's time to change the phase. Yes, they've been effective as prophets and teachers at this church in Antioch, 
But now it's time for them to step out into the office of the apostle, be a special sent one. So they're separated into the office, and they begin to do what God's called them to do, to take the gospel into areas that has never been, to establish churches, and to build churches. And as they do that, you get to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1, one of the first letters Paul ever wrote. And now God has them in another phase, although he's still an apostle, still a prophet, still a teacher. Now he's writing letters to churches that become two-thirds of our New Testament. There were phases to his life and to his ministry. And when you read through the book of Acts, you think, oh, this happened the next day. No, the book of Acts covers decades of time. Why he's moving through phases of his life. There are phases of your life and phases to your calling. There are phases to your life and phases to your calling. I remember when I first started, when I got to full-time ministry, because I've been in ministry since 2005. Went through college, and there would be times I'd be preaching in college in different churches and doing different things in college. But when I graduated, entered into full-time ministry, one of the main assignments I have, I was a youth pastor in Austin and in Dallas. And as a youth pastor, I was passionate about ministering to teenagers. I enjoyed it. I loved it. I was having the time of my life, being creative. By the time I finished the youth ministry, we saw over 400-some teenagers come through those doors. And over half of them answered the altar call. And so this is a baby church, a new church. And so the first couple years I'm doing that, and then January comes around, and Brother Copeland's having a minister's conference in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and my friend Pastor Chris Palmer was going, say, hey, Kara, come and join me for a day. So I went up there in a meeting, and Rick Renner's meeting, Jeremy Pierce's ministry, and when one of their meetings, I'm sitting there listening to them, but in my spirit, I see the class I started with graduating. I see them graduate, and I see me leaving. And so I'm still thinking of it and praying about it. I call my wife. I says, I think my time in youth ministry is coming to an end. I think God's about to transfer me to do something next. And so I told my friend Chris Palmer, I was with him, told my wife. And then I told God, I said, look, I'm open to do whatever you want me to do, but you kind of have to tell Bishop because he's in charge. So four days later, we're having a prayer meeting. And so we're praying together and praying to praying, and the anointing comes on Bishop, begins to flow in the Holy Ghost. And then he begins to prophesy over me. And the first words is, your time in youth is coming to a close quicker than you think. What is that? The Holy Ghost confirming what he already put in my heart. The season's changing. I'm thinking, okay, I think I have a year and a half. And the Holy Ghost is quicker than you think. And so then he pulls me aside, tells me other things that were in his heart that he didn't say publicly. And then the next month, I'm the assistant pastor. The phase changed. Now, my assignment is different. One of my assignments is, yes, there's the administration, yes, there's the counseling, there's all the other things that you have to do during the week. But one of my assignments is to be where Bishop is not. Because at this point now, he's leading three different churches, and he can't be at three every Sunday. He can be two, but not three. And so I began the rotation of myself, Pastor Michelle, and himself were all rotating through these different cities to minister to the people. That's part of what phases on my life. But then also, any time, for whatever reason, the current youth pastor, they needed a speaker in Austin or Dallas, I would still fill in. Why? Just because I transferred the phase doesn't mean the anointing left me. And so even as I was assistant pastor for a few years, I went with Bishop to Brazil. Me and Pastor Chris Palmer and some other people went with the bishops ministering in Brazil. And so while I'm sitting there enjoying the ministry, they, it was for 600 pastors. And so they brought the kids with them, and so they're ministering to the PKs and the teenagers, and they said, hey, Bishop, can uh, Pastor Carrick minister to teenagers? Sure, he's going to do a great job. 
And so we went and ministered to them. Just because it's years after my youth pastor doesn't mean the anointing left. And so actually our meeting went longer than Bishop's. And so, you know, Bishop and Pastor Palmer were sitting there talking, and he's like, where's K2? And Chris Palmer said, well, you know, Kerry, people still probably laying on the ground. They were. And so what happened? That anointing was still there. That even though I transferred from the faith, I'm still anointed to minister to teenagers. It never left. What came on me next just built upon what God already put there. And so by that time, the transfer came. When God moved me out here, that's another phase. God will let you know if you walk with him. If you spend time in prayer, he'll let you know when seasons are about to change. Now, he'll let you know about things way in advance. Because even before I left Austin, I think it was one of the favors God gave me is that class he showed me my spirit graduating, I saw them graduate. And three months later, I was gone. So God will let you know when things are about to change. And then as you ask him, he will have your leadership confirm it. You won't even have to bring it up because I didn't bring it up to him. The Holy Ghost moved him to say it. Even some of the things I'm going to share with this church in the future concerning the vision and mission statement, I didn't even share it with Bishop. Then he came on Friday night and he preached through half of it. I thought, well, there's my confirmation, Holy Ghost. God will let you know. You just have to be faithful and spending time with them and pursuing the grace that's on your life. The only thing you are to be in comp competition with is who God has called you to be. Measure yourself by who has God has called you to be, not any other man, not any other woman. Measure yourself by who has God called you to be and how are you measuring up to that person. Compete against that person. Race against that person, nobody else. So always remember that there are phases to your calling. And as you move through the phases of your call, don't let your passion get in the way of your purpose. And so I got that phrase one time. I was sitting at dinner, me and Lady Raquel, I don't even know if we were married yet. We were having dinner with Bishop and Pastor Deborah, and they were pouring into us about marriage and ministry. And Pastor Deborah looked at me and says, don't let your passion get in the way of your purpose. And at first I was confused. Like, well, how shouldn't you be passionate about your purpose? And it makes sense to me. I was passionate about youth ministry. But I understood later that if I let my passion about youth ministry keep me from moving to my next phase, I would have missed God. I'd have still been anointed in youth ministry because I'm anointed to youth ministry to teenagers. That's one of the things the Lord told me through a woman of God years ago, that anointing will be on me for my entire life. And even for that, God will call you to do things you never thought you could do. Because I never thought I could minister to teenagers. I never thought I could be a youth pastor. I definitely think I was anointed to do that. I just, I was like, you know, I could do children's ministry, I could do this. Teenagers, they're, they're not going to like me. And that was my thought for years. And then the Lord would have me preach to them. And God would move and do tremendous things. You know, different countries, different cities, God would just move. And then one time I was in, I was in a certain service and a woman God was ministering under the anointing. And she was ministering about different things that were in my heart, answering questions, so I was operating in the office of the prophet. And then she said, as long as you live, teenagers will come up to you and pour out their hearts before you, and you'll be able to minister to them. That anointing's on me. And then everything else God calls me to do builds on previous things he said. There's an anointing that came on me to minister when I was 13. But it doesn't mean I was going to step out in ministry the next day. But the anointing was there. 
you can be anointed greater than your current season. You can be anointed greater than your current season because it's preparing you for your next season. You can be anointed greater than your season because it's preparing you for your next season. How do we know that? David was anointed as a teenager but did not become a king till he was 30. Yet he was anointed to be king as a teenager. So what should you do? Grow in that anointing. Grow in that grace. So that when you step into what God's called you to do, you're ready. You're prepared. Because preparation is never lost time. Always understand this. Preparation is never lost time. Don't let your passion get in the way of your purpose. You have to be passionate about every stage and phase. You have to be passionate about every stage and phase. You have to learn how to submit your passion to the time of God. You can be passionate about your next phase. You just want to get to your next phase. But if it's not time for you to get to your next phase, you have to turn on your passion, calm down, and wait. Control your emotions, control your mentality. No, calm down and wait. Because the last point for tonight is always get and stay in God's timing. Always get and stay in God's timing. Just because he tells you something today and anoints you for it, it doesn't mean that it will happen today. Just because God tells you something today and anoints you for it does not mean it will happen today. So you must be passionate, but you must control your passion. You must get your passion in order and not step ahead of God just because, man, I'm ready to go. Now, you can be anointed and be passionate, step ahead of God, and cause a mess. But God, I was anointed to do that. I had passion, but it wasn't time. So you're trying to kick down doors that God would have opened if you waited. How much frustration have we had because we've been trying to kick down doors when God said, not yet? And if you would have just waited a little bit longer, the door would have been open and you could have sailed right on through. Never underestimate the power of a delay. Never underestimate the power of a delay. Because God could delay you for your benefit. That you're thinking, I'm ready right now. God says, not yet. Because if you rush out right now, you'll get hit. But if you wait just a few more days, you'll be ready. So the art is staying passionate, staying ready, but not stepping ahead of God. And now become so disenchanted because it's taken so long that you lose your passion. And you're not ready when he calls. You have to stay ready. You have to stay passionate. But you must submit your passion to the timing of God. Because as you submit yourself to the timing of God and you're yielded, he can show you more. He'll talk to you about more. There are things he'll tell you about things coming down the line that you have to be, okay, that's not for today. That's for later. Maturity understands that. Think about little kids. They always want to do what? Grow up. They always want to do things that it's too old for them to do. You get a little bit older, you're like, well, you know what? I ain't in a rush no more. <laughs> Life went by kind of quick. Whoa, whoa, how old I am? I? What, you know, what happened? Time and maturity. Don't be in a rush, but don't fall behind either. 
You should pursue the timing of God and check in with him. Yeah, God, this is what you called me to do. Am I on the right track? Am I moving too fast or am I going too slow? You want to do your best to keep pace with the Holy Ghost. Keep pace with the Holy Ghost. Stay in God's timing. Understand that there are phases to your call. And understand that preparation has never lost time. You say, well, he's still preparing me. Well, keep letting him prepare you. So, well, it's taking a long time to prepare. Well, number one, make sure you're listening. Make sure you're not delaying your preparation. And other times, if it's still God's will for to keep you in a time of preparation, then let him prepare you. He is seasoning you. He is setting you so you can soar. Think about this. How many of you like seasoned food? I don't like food that has no season. That just doesn't work for me. And if there's a food with no season, I anoint it with hot sauce. Now, there's some foods, when you add seasoning, it has to set for a little while. You can't just add, put it on there, cook it, and get the full taste. It needs to set a little while. Some needs to set overnight. You have to understand God has been seasoning you with the grace, and you've been set so that you can soar. That your preparation has not lost time. That God hasn't forgotten about you. That it's not too late. We looked at last week how God called people when they were kids. And he called people when they were senior citizens. It's not too early. It's not too late. Let God season you. Let God set you so that when it's time, you can soar. You're ready. Because you'll step out. And I realize that God has poured so much in you. And when you step out, everything is poured into you just flows. And then when it's time, you go with what you know. And then when it's time to step out, you can't go, oh, I don't know enough. Nope, just go. Step out in the faith that the grace is on you. But what if I make a mistake? Thank God for the blood and thank God God fixes mistakes. Because you will make a mistake. But don't let your mistakes talk you out of your future. Stay close to the timing of God. Listen to the voice of God. And let him take you through the phases of life. Take him to the phases of your call. And as I said on Sunday, stay in step with him so you know what method to use. Don't fall in love with the method because the method can change. Marry your purpose, not the method. Move on with the Holy Ghost and let the Holy Ghost lead you and guide you where you're supposed to go. And as you keep doing these things, you understand more about your purpose. You understand more about why God made you the way he made you, why he graced you the way he graced you. But you have to do these elementary things continually and be faithful in doing that. As you go, you'll understand more. And there's some things you all understand for another 10, 20 years. Well, God, why did God have me do that? And then you look back, that's why he had me do that. And there's some things you'll understand in heaven. Because there's some things you do, you say, well, it doesn't seem to have any impact. But it had an eternal impact you didn't know. God has graced you and called you to do different things. A lot of people, most people have a dual call, a call for inside the church house, a call for outside the house, that God can grace you to do things inside the church, and God can grace you to do something different outside the church. Find out what your grace is and get involved, get plugged in, get connected, and grow in the grace. Because as we grow in the grace, more lives will be changed. Amen. I hope you enjoyed today's message. 
We never want to close a broadcast without giving you an opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. So if you've never asked him into your heart, you've never made him your Lord and Savior, pray this prayer with me today and mean it from your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe that he died for me, but on the third day, you raised him from the dead. Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Save me now. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your spirit and help me to live this Christian life. If you prayed that prayer and meant it from your heart, we believe you've been born again. We ask that you email us at info at FCCGA.com. That's FCCGA.com to let us know about the decision you've made for Christ today. Have an amazing day.